0: So today's daf is La in Masachet Betza. We are uh, about six lines from the, or seven lines from the top of the Amud, where it says Amar Patam, The ox that belongs to the Patam. Patam is the person who fattens up uh, different oxen, different animals, in order to sell them. So it belongs to everybody. His oxen follow the, uh, follow the Tuchum of. Whoever decides to buy them. So if he comes on the Yom Tov, and uh, obviously he could purchase it on credit. <coughs> so uh, you can come take the animal on the Yom Tov. And since the seller has in mind that it should belong Basically, to whomever is going to come on the Yom Tov to get it. So therefore, that person is allowed to take it, even if they're taking it outside of the tuchum of the shepherd himself, who is the fattener of the animals, the uh, the seller, since the buyer was expected, even though that particular buyer wasn't expected, but since buyers from outside are expected, whoever takes it, it's as if it was destined for them. Like we said about the that it works for this area of tuchum, the retroactive clarification. However, the ox that belongs to the shepherd is only, uh, is restricted to, to, to the tchum of the people within that city. In other words, um, this uh this particular, this local kind of a shepherd is only going to sell uh, to people that live in his neighborhood. So therefore, he wouldn't be allowed, uh, I mean, he would be allowed to, but if somebody came from outside what would be considered the tachum of that city of somebody in that city, and they were able to get there uh, from elsewhere on the uh, on the Yom Tov? So that person wouldn't be included. That person would be limited by the tachum of somebody within the city of the shepherd, because the shepherd doesn't have in mind for people to come from far and wide. He's just a local guy. He doesn't have customers from outside. So Rashi explains. <speaking in Hebrew> that the shepherd's sheep, uh, were animals, are limited by 20 amot to every direction. Even if the shepherd, let's say, decided to make an eruv tchumin to the east, so that doesn't mean that, uh, the person who purchased it from the shepherd has to be restricted by the tchum the That was made by the shepherd So even though the shepherd Eliminated his ability To go to the west And is only able to go to the east If the person purchased it from him From that city He's allowed to go to the west with it um, Because But because it's normal For people from within the city To purchase from this shepherd On Yom Tov Obviously paying afterwards only But they're allowed to come get it They're expected So that's the assumption So patam so whereas the person who is the major seller and is recognized outside of a city, that person um, doesn't even restrict the animals uh, within the limits of the city. Because if somebody came uh, further than someone from, their, the, from the city would be able to come because of an erovet chumin situation that they created, that they're able to come further uh, to a, from a place where somebody within the city wouldn't be able to come it wouldn't be restricted, I'm sorry, it wouldn't be restricted if they're buying from the major seller, but if they're buying from the local seller, so the furthest you'd be allowed to take that animal would be with within what's considered the techum of that city because that is, uh, the, that's where the customer base is. So any customer within the customer base is you know the owner has in mind before Yom Tov that he might sell it to such a person, and therefore makes it subject to the tehum of the, of the customer base that he has. So for the local person, that's going to be more limited. For the uh, bigger business that has more customers coming from the outside, so he knows that there might even be people who are uh, even further away. Who are coming to get his animals on Yom Tov, and therefore, um, he, he, there, there's no restriction on their taking the animals from him to an even to an area that somebody from that city wouldn't normally be allowed to travel. Now, Hashoel kli. We learned that if somebody borrows a vessel from a friend, an Erev Yom Tov, so the t'chum status of that vessel goes by the borrower, because he borrowed it before Yom Tov. The point is that even if I, bar, if I arrange to borrow it on Erev Yom Tov, even if I didn't come pick it up till Yom Tov, it still follows my t'chum. You might have thought, since it's not in my domain yet, because I didn't come to pick it up, so it's going to be stuck with the limitations of the tchum of the owner but kamashmalan it comes to tell you that since I made arrangements and the assumption was the knowledge from in advance was that I was going to take it on uh, for this holiday so my tchum is the one that it becomes connected to on Erev Yom Tov when the Yom Tov begins exactly what Rabbi Yochanan said that if you borrow something from someone on Erev Yom Tov even though you didn't come to pick it up until the Yom Tov it follows your tchum because you are the borrower and you were. Expected to be using it on the Yom Tov. Now the Gemara, then the Mishnah said, Yom Tov." If you borrow something on Yom Tov, so then it's going to go by the owner, not by the borrower, because since you didn't come to get it. Since you didn't initiate the borrowing until Yom Tov. So when the Yom Tov began, that object came under the techum parameters of the person who owns it. So that again should be obvious. We're talking about a case where this individual comes and borrows this item all the time. So you might have even expected him to come and borrow it. But You might have thought that the owner automatically transfers or has in mind for this item to come into the possession and therefore under the tehum parameters of the of a borrower who is a usual borrower kamashmalan we say that no, since the owner might think that maybe this holiday you found someone else to borrow it from and that you're not going to come borrow it from me. So since he doesn't know that on Erev Yom Tov that you're actually going to come and he says that you might have had other options, so uh, so therefore, uh, he doesn't automatically transfer it to your Tuchum unless you made the arrangements explicitly beforehand. So the point is, if you made the arrangements explicitly beforehand, then it works, even though you didn't pick it up. If you, But if you're even if you're a regular borrower, but you didn't make the arrangements Explicitly beforehand, so then the item is not going to be considered under your tchum if you only come and borrow it on the Yom Tov. Similarly, if a woman comes and borrows the uh, ingredients for bread, like we saw water, salt, spice, etc., et, et and then she makes that bread, so the bread is going to be limited by the tchum of, of both of the women. Why? Because uh, part of the ingredients, the spice, spices and the water and the salt, are coming from one woman, and maybe the flour is coming from the person who borrowed the other items. And so it's going to be limited because since it's mixed, like we saw before, items that are owned by two parties, so you can only move them around within the space that both parties are allowed to move around. So if one in one direction and one in a different direction, so they're going to be limited, but only by the space that overlaps in their respective tchumin. Rabbi Yehuda says that water doesn't count towards that, but we're going to see more about that in the Gemara. Right now we're focusing on the first part. And it says, I hope I can say something smart. When I get to Eretz Yisrael, I'll say some halacha that will be accepted by them. In other words, that uh, I don't want to make it look like these sages that are coming from Bavil. I don't know what they're talking about. I hope that I'm well received and I say something good. When he got there, he found Rabbi Yohanan, Rabbi Hanina, Bar Papi, and Rabbi Zera. That it was three other rabbis, Rabbi Yabar, Rabbi Shimon, Ben Pazin, Rabbi Yitzhak, and and Kamrei. That they were talking about this very case and they said, Amai. Why is it that the water and the salt and the spices that were borrowed to make bread still restrict the loaf in accordance with the tehum of the lender? Why? right? So it says, We have a concept of bitul, a concept of nullification. And uh, the main ingredient is the flour. So the fact that this lady gave me water and, and salt or whatever, it should become nullified in the bread. And since it's nullified in the bread, so therefore also the ownership of the lender of the water and the salt, which obviously she doesn't expect to get that water and salt back. She expects me to pay her back after the holiday in some way. So why should her ownership or her tuchum have any impact on the bread? It should be considered nullified, batel. So Amar lehu Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba said to them, Harei she lo kav chitin basa kavin chitin shel If I have one kav of bread, wheat, in other words, I have a, a certain amount of wheat, and it gets mixed in with ten kabin of somebody else's wheat. Should the person who got my calf of wheat mixed up in his wheat eat it and be happy? In other words, do we say that ownership becomes batel, that because I I own something, I had five dollars and you had a hundred dollars, my five dollars got mixed up in your hundred, now it's batel and you own my five dollars too? We don't say that. They laughed at him. He said to them, did I take your coat? Meaning, did I take, they would wear this very, she says, a very, very nice cloak that they wore under their main garment. It was a fancy, like, uh, undershirt that they wore. And, uh, and uh, when you, uh, he says, When you sit down, you adjust your coat outer uh, garment, and you could see this nice undergarment that you would wear. So he said, did I take it from you? Now the question is, what does that mean? Some say that it means, oh, did I, was that the answer you guys were thinking of? And I took your answer, and therefore you're laughing because I said exactly what you guys were thinking, meaning he, he thought that maybe they were laughing with him instead of at him. They laughed at him again. So obviously they weren't laughing with him, they were laughing at him. You know, they were right to laugh at him because that was a bad analogy because why didn't Rabbi Abba mention the case of wheat and barley? Why does he mention wheat and wheat? Right? When it comes to, uh, he mentioned two things that are the same. And when you have two different things, you do have bitul. If you have, you have barley and you have wheat and they mix together, the barley can become batel. So the point is that The reason that they made fun of him was Because he used the, the example of wheat and wheat As if to say When it's wheat and wheat That's where if my one cob of wheat Gets mixed with your ten coven It's not batel The implication is That if it were, if it were barley and wheat That it would be a different story Because it's a different item Mine is barley Yours is wheat But in actual fact even within wheat and wheat, you can have bitul, because it's only according to Rabbi Yehuda that, that uh, two similar things do not in, in nullify each other. But actually, we hold that similar things do nullify each other. So, um, so the, um, the point is that, he, why is he using an example of wheat and wheat instead of wheat and barley? Really, both of them are halakhically the same. In both cases, you could have bitul, uh, if Bitul is really relevant to that situation. So it said, Amarle Rav Safra, Moshe, Shapir Kamrat, right? He said, he said to him, uh, Rav Safra said back, meaning he's now speaking to, uh, this was, Rav Oshaya said that they were right to make fun of him because he gave a bad analogy using a case of wheat and wheat, implying that wheat and barley would be a different story. Rav Safra said, no, Moshe, by the honor of Moshe, how could you say that? Shapir Kamrat, are you saying something intelligent? Are you really, do you really think you're right? He said, "No, velo shemiel lohu did these rabbis who were laughing not hear what Rabbi Chiyaki Tosfa'a said in the name of Rav? If a person goes and picks out the pebbles from the grain of his friend, since when you would weigh wheat, okay, it was usually on the buyer to take out the pebbles, not on the seller. So meaning there was an assumption that, yeah, of course there's going to be some pebbles in there and that will add to the weight of what I'm selling you. So if I'm selling you, uh, uh two pounds of something or five kilos of something or whatever the measurement is. So uh, I'm selling it to you, assuming that, yeah, you're getting some pebbles in there and whatnot. If somebody goes and purifies it so that I'm giving you pure wheat, two pounds, so actually they're causing me a loss in in that case. So, uh, because that wasn't the practice. So therefore I'm going to be obligated to, if I do that, now I'm going to be obligated to pay in the difference. In other words, you, we, we say what? That you lowered my amount, you lowered the, the weight that um that i was that I was giving out, and so too says the rashi we don't say that monetary obligations become batel we don't say because it's only a tiny amount of just a little bit you took out the pebbles so that shouldn't really affect you and it shouldn't be significant. no, we don't say that because in monetary matters we don't make that kind of decision, so too, when it comes to here that um That the water and the salt, they don't become batel, they belong to somebody else. How can I say that the ownership of that person and the water and salt became batel? We don't say that ownership becomes batel. Okay, so, so basically, Rav Safar is saying instead of nitpicking on, uh, uh, on the case that Rabbi Abba brought, as if, you know, that, you know, to try to uh, attack him for the case that he brought and say they were laughing at him for that, the fact is that he was right. How could monetary ownership become batel? So then uh, uh, Abaye answered and said There's a difference Because when it comes to the guy Who's selling wheat And you went and you took all of the pebbles out and therefore you're, he's giving out more wheat than he really intended to give out based on the weight that is showing on the scale okay that's mamon so now the owner of the wheat is selling it is going to come and he's going to demand to be compensated but here the lady who gave the water and salt to make the bread she's not coming to demand for water and salt back maybe next week she'll ask you to pay her back but she's not asking for the water and salt back right now on the Yom Tov there's no tovea there's nobody demanding it and if there's nobody demanding it so then her ownership the the the, the lender's ownership should be irrelevant right now so he says when it comes to what rav chisda said that nevela meat that died of it of natural causes let's say not by shekita can become batel in kosher meat. Because it's impossible for kosher meat to become nevelah. This is talking about the laws of tum'ah. In other words, kosher meat will never be a source of tumat nevela because it was slaughtered; it was kosher, right? So it can never become nevela. shkhutai nabadelah However, kosher meat doesn't become nullified in non-kosher because the visha nevelah shteh Because nevela can become like shchutah because if the nevelah, the non-kosher meat becomes so rotten that even a dog wouldn't eat it, it also doesn't transmit tum'at anymore. It becomes just like the shchutah. So that so we say so too. In other words, over there you see that what. That uh, that it becomes batil because there, there always has to be some kind of a difference between the two things. Right? So we said a nevelah can become nullified in a shekutah. Why? Because the shekutah will never become like it. So they're two different things. But if you have a little bit of shekutah, a little bit of kosher meat that got mixed up in non-kosher, there, since the nevelah could also become like the Shekutah, because the Nevelah can lose its ability to give Tum'ah at a certain point. So therefore we say that it can't become batil because it is the same thing. It's, it's considered to have an underlying similarity and therefore it's impossible for the Bitul to take place. This is according to Rabbi Yehuda, because normally according to Rabbi Yehuda, Min bimino is Eno Batel. Things that are the same cannot be Batil. But even he, in this case, will say that there could be a Bitul when the majority is Nevelah and the minority is... I'm sorry, when the minority is uh, nevela and the majority is Shkutah because it's impossible for the nevela to ever become Shkutah. So therefore, they're considered different. Okay, so it says, You're going to tell me that when that owners in this case, okay, will, will change the status of the Bitul. In other words, you're going to tell me that uh, the way that the Tosfot explains it here flows the best with the Gemara that we have it. That he says... You you see that it doesn't make a difference. In other words, we're not interested in whether somebody is coming and asking for this back or not. Okay. In other words, he says that uh, that according to Rav Safra. Which we're what we're saying here. This is the in our Gemara, in our text of the Gemara. Basically, this is Rav Safra going back to Abaye, because Abaye had said that when there's nobody asking for the item, there's nobody who is demanding the item back. So their monetary uh, position in the item doesn't have any significance. And so Rav Safra is saying that uh, if there is a situation of bitul. But there's nobody coming to demand their item. Are you saying that the Bitul um Moil Tal Right? Are you gonna say that since it has owners involved in the uh, in the picture, it's gonna affect the Bitul? He says, No, Ella Alma Right? In other words, you see from here that we're not interested in owners who owns the Nevelah, who owns the shkuta, whether they're asking for it back, whether they're not asking for it back. Here, for sure, the person would want it back if their meat got mixed up in other meat, they're gonna want it back. And yet, we still say that, um, that we don't look at the, whether the, we don't look at the ownership factor when it comes to bitul. Ownership doesn't, you know, is resistant to bitul in all cases, we don't consider ownership to become batil, and it has no it has no connection to the idea of bitul when it comes to kashrut or when it comes to tum'a Vitara where there could be a bitul. Okay, you see from here that it isn't relevant. So now he says, And if you're gonna tell me that it is in fact relevant, you see that objects that have no owner. Also establish a tchum, even though they don't have any owner, it's as if they did have an owner. In other words, what you see from that is that ownership and whether somebody's asking for it or demanding it really doesn't have anything to do with the tchum status of something. So if you have a mixture of something, even if the owner does, wants it back, doesn't want it back, it has nothing to do with it, really the ownership of that person should have an effect on the status of the object. It doesn't become batel in the object That is, and it doesn't disappear. Okay, because you see that when it comes to tchumin, even if it has no object and therefore, I mean, no owner and therefore, there's obviously nobody demanding it back, it doesn't need that to have a tchum status. So the person, whether they are demanding it back or not, is irrelevant. And seemingly, therefore, monetary ownership never becomes batel. And there, and since tchum is based upon monetary ownership, it isn't going to become batel. The whole discussion here is irrelevant because you're comparing isur to You're comparing matters of religious law, of ritual law, to matters of uh, to matters of uh, monetary law, and that doesn't work. Ma- monetary law is totally different than uh, than uh, uh, than law of um, uh, of ritual matters. And Rashi explains. He says. דאפילו יש לו תוביני כי לא קשוי ליבתיל דוד המותיד אלה הבורא צורות מיכא מזדמת ישו על אפסו דממנו. How can you compare to the case of the guy who takes pebbles out of the wheat? Because The rabbi said that that when it comes to Isur, when it comes to a prohibited thing, it should become We never say that the person who owns more, all of a sudden they have shares in a company And the person who owns more owns all of it Because the, well, the person who owns a minority is insignificant We don't say that And right? In other words, the issue of Tchumin has nothing to do with monetary. You're going on about how the monetary uh, rights of the person, the proprietary rights, don't become nullified. That's true. They don't. But that's irrelevant to Tchumin because Tchumin is Isra. Tchumin is a prohibition. It has to do with Elchot Shabbat and therefore it is a. It goes by the rules of bitul, says Abaye, and that's why in this case you would have, you could have potentially a uh, a situation of bitul. You could have a situation of nullification here. That's the fascinating thing about tchumin. That really, what the rabbis are dealing with, are grappling with here, is that on one hand, Tchum goes by proprietary rights. It follows. Monetary rights and uh, ownership uh, But on the other hand It's really an issue of Shabbat, Shabbat. So it's really an issue of It's really an issue of prohibition and and, and and an issue of ritual laws of Shabbat and Yom Tov So it sort of straddles that So the question is Should there be bitul in this case Because after all it's a ritual matter Or should there not be bitul because it's tied to And it's based on monetary ownership And that seems to be the argument here Between Rab Safwa and Abaye Now at the end of the day What is the reason then? If there really is bitul according to Abaye here Not of the proprietary rights Of the person who owns the salt and the water They still own it And therefore they could still require payment back but of the isur tchumin there could be bitul. So therefore, why don't we allow the water to become batil in the bread? We're worried. Maybe the lady will make will just all out make an, a uh, dough in partnership. And there, in other words, if we say that the water and the salt, if you borrow ingredients from the other lady, that it doesn't affect the tuchum status of the bread. So then you'll think that even if you make a partnership and you make loaves together and you share the ingredients, all the ingredients, that it will be, uh, it won't be subject to the t'khum of both women. And that would not be true because if you have a partnership, then it, for sure, you own it equally. And it, and the, uh, the entire set of, uh, whatever you bake is going to be subject to the t'khum of both people involved, not just one side. So if we say that if you borrow the water and salt, it doesn't affect the t'khum status of the bread, then people will also think that if you make the entire bread, uh, sharing ingredients and as a partnership that it won't affect the status of the bread. Rava, mar, tavlin, etama avidi, etama lo batil. Rava comes along and says no Rashi says this isn 't really a machloket; it 's more of a uh, it 's more of an additional point in other words he 's mentioning the issue of the tavlin of why the spices because it also mentioned in the Mishnah that the spices don 't become batil. he says spices are made for taste, and since you have spices, uh, the spices are not going to be nullified because you can taste it, you can detect the taste. In the food. That's how Rashi interprets it. He says it's not really a machloket. Tosfot says, no, they think that, uh, it doesn't make sense to say they have two opinions and they don't argue with each other. So it says, In other words, that according to Tosfot's interpretation, the, that the, the first answer of Abaye applies to everything, that you can't share ingredients, even if the ingredients are, are, are negligent in the ultimate, or, or you know, are, are not significant, rather, in the ultimate, uh, creation. They're not detectable since you might come to make a, a, the entire dish in partnership, you can't borrow the ingredients without subjecting the final product to the tchum of the borrower and the lender of the ingredients. So he says that that uh, when it comes to kdera, um that when it comes to uh, uh, a, um, uh, really the main point according to rava, is the, uh, is a cooked dish, not bread, right? Meaning that when it comes to the bread, you have salt in there, which is a, which is, you can detect the taste. And therefore, since it's a pronounced taste in the bread, so, uh, that means that you are, uh, that it's still present, that you can't say it's batel. On the, and water is chashub because it's really one of the essential ingredients to the bread. So you can't really consider it negligible in the bread. So, in other words, according to Tosafod, Again, halachically they don't really argue. They everyone agrees that these items are not batil, because that's what the Mishnah says. The question is, according to Abaye, the starting point is actually the bread. He's saying the bread is uh that the uh that he he's focusing on the bread and he's saying, and so too any other dish they might make in partnership. And Rava is saying, no, um, spices, meaning he's focusing mainly on the on dishes other than bread, and he says, and also also would apply to bread. So in the end, halachically it is true that they don't argue, but according to Tosafot, they're taking a different line of reasoning. Where where Rava is starting from the point of spices. And, uh, and, and that's the, that is his focus. And Abaye is basically saying that it's a matter of a gzerah that lest they do it in partnership. So that gzerah again also applies both to cooked dishes as well as to bread, but it's a different logic. It's that we're worried that they're going to end up doing a partnership and now realize that, um, and now realize that the uh, that it's subject that the product is subject to the tchumin of both partners whereas Ravai is saying there's just no bitul at all there's no bitul in the water there's no bitul in the salt there's no bitul in the spices because they are pronounced their presence is pronounced in the final item at the end of the day both of them are agreeing on the halacha that there is that you cannot that you cannot produce such an item without subjecting it to the tchum of both according to Ravashi, there's an even simpler reason which is since if you wait until the end of Shabbat or Yom Tov there won't be any restriction at all so it's called a it's something that will eventually become permitted and anything that will become permitted doesn't become nullified um, because you just have to wait it out so since you have to wait it out we don't use the instrument of Bitul it's called something that eventually the, has a uh, an expiration date on the uh, on the restriction and uh, and therefore it, it's not going to become batil because of that so in the end, everyone agrees it's not going to become batel, either because of a gzera, according to Abaye, really physically it would become batel, but it's a gzera, according to ravat because uh, it isn't really batel, because water is significant in a dough, and spices space, can be detected, and according to Ravashi, it's because it's the most, because the prohibition is only temporary. Rabbi Yehuda says that water, if you just borrowed water from your neighbor, you don't have to subject the entire dough, to the uh, or the entire bread to the tchum of the... Uh, of the lender, mine which means water, yes, but not salt. But didn't Rabbi Yuda say that also salt becomes nullified, both in the dough and in a pot, meaning in a cooked dish. So the way there she explains it is that Melach Sedomit was a very fine salt. We know it was a very dangerous salt, it like could blind you, but it was also very fine. And therefore, since it was very fine. So uh, it, was, it, it basically uh, would not um, be discernible. wouldn't be easily discernible. And therefore, it would become batel. Whereas this other kind of ordinary salt would not become batel. So salt sometimes will and sometimes won't, depending on whether it dissolves completely or whether it is discernible and it remains some kind of a substance that you can detect and see. Okay? Now, when it comes to uh, uh, now it's so uh, In another case we said that water and salt become nullified in a dough Meaning if you took the water and salt from somebody else And they had a different techum uh, situation than you did It would become nullified in your bread But not in a pot If you mixed it into your stew It would not become batel And your stew would be subject to to the tchum uh, of both people The person that you borrowed uh, the water and salt from And your own Because of the uh, liquid it says in the Brayta in the So the Gemara answers Depends if it is a thick It is a thick uh, type uh, of a cooked dish Where there's no clear um, broth or anything like that Or sauce it, is, it looks more like a doughy type of thing, a solid type of thing. So therefore, it's going to have the same rule as bread and what and the water or the salt will be nullified in there. But if it's a liquidy thing where you can still see the water basically in the form of the sauce or the broth, so then it is not going to be batel and you're going to have to subject yourself to the tchum of both of the people whose ingredients were included in the mixture.